0: Well, we've reached, the, um, we've reached the end of Ezekiel. So I thought, um, I thought we should have a bit of a recap. So if you'd like to turn to Ezekiel chapter 1, uh, we'll just review... No, I'm joking. That was a joke. That was a joke. We're not going to do the whole thing. We are going to do, do eight chapters, but not, um, not 48. Uh, so um, if you turn to chapter 47, and we're just going to read the first 12 verses, and then we are going to um, just recap a little bit. But... Um, It's on page 880 in the Chapel Bibles. If you'd like to turn there, Ezekiel chapter 47, uh, verses 1 to 12. Everyone got there. And uh, the context, as we'll um, see, is that Ezekiel is being shown a a vision of what is to come. And this is part of that vision. The man brought me back to the entrance of the temple and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the other side of the outer gate facing east and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, He measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand and now it was a river that I could not cross because the water that had risen was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. He asked me, Son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah where it enters the sea. When it enters into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore, from Engedi to Eneglaim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Great Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear. Because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their pitcher, uh, their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. So we'll come back to that um, in a moment. But if you'd like to turn back to chapter 40, we are going to pick up um, in chapter 40 and, uh, and sort of start from there. Because last week we finished in chapter 39. So we've got, uh, we've got quite a bit to um, cover this morning. Uh, but don't worry, we will be home for lunch-ish. So um, I love uh, I love stories and uh, I love writing stories. and I love watching stories. I love watching movies. And uh, one of the one of the, the sort of the, the plot devices that is used very very regularly in stories and very very regularly in films is the plot device where you reach a point of it seems that all hope has gone, and there's a moment where it looks as if all hope is gone. And, and disaster one of So, um, I mean, there are just so many examples, but the one that immediately sprang to mind for some reason was a Toy Story. And uh, you'll remember this, uh, perhaps remember the scene in Toy Story where Andy and his family are moving house and the car and the removal truck have, have, have moved away and uh, Woody and Buzz are left behind, or Woody is left behind. And there's that scene where Woody and Buzz are on RC, the remote-controlled car, and they're trying to catch up with the lorry, and first of all, the batteries run out in RC, and they're left behind. And there's the, that's the first moment where you think, this is, this is hopeless. This is hopeless. They're never going to catch up. And then Woody spots that Buzz is strapped to a rocket, because remember, the evil boy who lived next door is trying to blow Buzz up with a rocket, and he's strapped a rocket to him. And, uh, and then Woody remembers he's got a match, in his holster and he thinks, ah, we're saved. I can strike the match. i light the rocket. It'll be all right. So he strikes the match. He lights the rocket and then a car drives past and blows the, he blows the f- flame of the match out before he can light the rocket. And that's that moment where it's hopeless. There, there, there's no way now that they can be rescued. There's no way now that they can catch up with the lorry. And that's that moment. And then... Um, as, uh, as, as Woody is in tears thinking this is a disaster, there's no way back. Uh, the sun shines through the helmet of Buzz and, uh, and and focuses on the back of Woody's hand and starts to burn a hole in the back of his hand and then he realises, we can light the rocket, we'll all be saved. So um, hopefully that was a decent recap. If you've never seen the movie, just think of another film where the similar plot device is used. But anyway... That's where we are with the people of God in Ezekiel chapter 40. And actually, we've usually in a, in a film, that moment of agony doesn't last very long. There's that moment of agony where you think, oh, and then there's resolution. Well, the people of God have been in a place of agony for, well, Ezekiel 40, 25 years. They've been in exile and 14 years since the city has fallen and the temple has been destroyed. And remember... That even while they're in exile, if you remember way back to when we did start in Ezekiel chapter 1, they have this false hope that no matter what else happens, even if they are exiled, God will never abandon Jerusalem because he's promised this is his dwelling place. He's promised he's never going to abandon it. So they've got into this space of thinking, well, whatever, whatever's gone wrong, however disobedient we've been, whatever punishments have come our way, Jerusalem will never fall, and then it falls. And they'd been in this place for 14 years. On the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year, after the fall of the city, on that very day, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he took me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there. I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and pay attention to everything I am going to show you. For that is why you've been brought here. Tell the house of Israel everything you see. This is the moment where Woody spots that the sun is shining through Buzz's space helmet and is being focused on the back of his hand. This is the moment when from that place of despair and hopelessness, suddenly there's hope. And what God is showing Ezekiel in this vision, which runs through the rest of the book, he's showing him, this is my plan. This is what you have to look forward to. This is, this is what I am going to do. And it's a wonderful reminder to us that when we find ourselves. In that place of despair and hopelessness and sometimes in our lives we, we find ourselves in those moments of thinking it's, there, there is no hope. God has abandoned me if he, was, if he was ever there. I have no future. I have nothing left to look forward to. In those moments this is the reassurance. This is the promise that no, God is working out a plan. And in these moments and in this vision God is, is sharing with Ezekiel and with his people This is what you have to look forward to. And in the next couple of chapters, uh, what Ezekiel is shown is the rebuilding of the temple, the temple that's been destroyed. And um, if you're an architect, it's all very fascinating. If you're not an architect, uh, it's it's, really, it's it's, it's like one of those, you know, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, it's, you know, sometimes it's really exciting because you've got, you know, David and Goliath, like, yeah. And then sometimes it's architecture. Uh, which is not quite as exciting. But it's very exciting because what God is showing is Ezekiel is saying, I'm going to rebuild. Everything that was lost, I'm going to rebuild it. And so Ezekiel is taken around this new temple. And then chapter 43, the glory returns to the temple. The glory of God returns to the temple. God's plan always is to dwell with his people. And because of their disobedience, they have been, there's been this separation and uh, you may remember the tragedy in Ezekiel chapter ten, when the glory of God leaves the temple. And uh, if you remember um, that far back, it's it's the most heartbreaking moment, because as I said the people have lived under this false assumption that God will—he'll never leave the temple. He's promised this is his dwelling place for eternity. And then in chapter ten, the glory <coughs> departs from the temple, and it's the most. You know, it's the most wretched moment. It's, uh, to use the, go back to the analogy of, of um, you know, Woody and Buzz, it's the moment when Woody's match gets blown out. The glory of the Lord has left the temple. There's, this is disaster. But now in the vision, Ezekiel has shown the glory returns. Returns to the temple. The man brought me to the gate facing east. And I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters. The land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city. And like the visions i had seen by the Kibar River and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then a spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And the glory of the Lord filled The temple. Can you imagine how Ezekiel's heart swells when he sees this? He's living in exile and he hears the stories of the ruins of Jerusalem and the temple. And now God is showing him a fresh vision that the day is going to come when God's glory is once again going to fill the temple. And God makes a promise that he will never leave it, he will be with them forever. Verse 9. Let them put away from me their prostitution and the lifeless idols of their kings, and I will live among them forever. This is God's promise. This is God's plan. A day when he will dwell with us forever. Chapter 43, verse 13. In the new temple, there's only one piece of furniture which is described, and it's the altar. It's the only piece of furniture that's described in this vision. uh, In the new temple. And it's because the altar is the place of reconciliation. It's the place where God's people can come and be reconciled to him. How is it that God will be able to dwell with his people forever? Only if there's a place of reconciliation. And it's the altar which is the place of reconciliation. Uh, Verse 18. Son of man, this is what the sovereign Lord says. These will be the regulations for sacrificing burnt offerings and sprinkling, sprinkling blood Upon the altar when it is built. You see, God's desire is to dwell with his people. But the only way that God can dwell and be present with his people is if there is an offering of sacrifice to atone for sin. Uh, Hebrews chapter 9 verse um, 22. uh, The writer says this. The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood. There is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's why um, Abraham is taken with his only son, Isaac, way, way back. Because God establishes this principle that without the shedding of blood, there can't be forgiveness. And God knows that in order to dwell with his people, there needs to be a mechanism for forgiveness. And it's sacrifice. It's the shedding of blood, which is why the altar is the only Piece of furniture in the new temple. God is preparing. This is the vision. This is the future. That God's glory will one day fill the temple. He will dwell with his people and they will be reconciled to him. Then the next few chapters, we come to the division of lands. Uh, It's going to be a a place of blessing again. God is going to gather his people together again. And then we come to chapter 47. Uh, And this wonderful, wonderful picture of Uh, of of, uh, ezekiel and the people of god being led step by step into his presence and we have this wonderful uh, image of water flowing from the temple now this is miraculous on every level Uh, it's miraculous because um, jerusalem is the only ancient city uh, not built on a river why would you build a city not on a river uh, every ancient city is built on a river because if you're going to survive, you need, you need water. You can't survive without water. Every ancient city uh, is built on a, on a river. I, was, um, I just started re- uh, watching um, uh, Who Do You Think You Are? And um, Bear Grylls, is, Bear Grylls is, is featured in the latest Who Do You Think You Are? And I was just uh, reminded of uh, when Bear Grylls did his series, series The Island. And if you watch The Island, he takes 12 people... And they're basically just dumped on a, on a desert island with literally nothing, and they have to survive. And the first thing that they have to do is find fresh water, because if they don't, they'll die. So why on earth you build a, you know, build civilization not on a river? Uh, it's just, it's daft. And, and you know, every ancient civilization, every city is built on a river. Jerusalem is not. And it's always a big issue for the people of Jerusalem, is where they get their water from because there's no river but in this vision there's a river and it flows from the temple and it's a river of life it flows from the side of the temple and wherever it flows it brings it brings life it brings fruitfulness and in the vision Ezekiel is you know he measured off a thousand cubits so that's sort of to the eight bells roughly half a kilometer uh, uh, he measured off a thousand cubits he led me through water that was ankle deep measured off another thousand, water that was knee-deep, another thousand up to the waist. measured off another thousand, that was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. Uh, the promise of God is that this, this river of life is going to flow. And the invitation is for us to step into the river of life. And the invitation is to step into the river so deep that actually we actually we're swept along by it that's that's the picture that god's inviting us to uh, to come so deeply into his presence that we are so caught up in his presence that we are we are swept along our, our feet is off the ground which is if you're someone who likes to be in control of things is it's, it's a scary kind of it's a scary kind of image we don't we like to be in control of things we like to be in control of our Lives. We like to trust God uh, so far, but we like to keep a measure of control. Well, I do. I hate not being in control. Uh, the idea of taking my feet off the you know off the floor and just being swept along, I, that's, I don't like that. I don't want to be in that place. But that's the place where God invites us to be in His presence: is to trust Him, to be swept along in this river. And it's a good thing because wherever this river flows, there's life. There is fruitfulness. In the, in the picture, the river, this river of life, it flows into the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea. That's why it's called the Dead Sea, because nothing flows in it. But in this picture, uh, uh, verse uh, 9, there'll be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. Makes the salt water fresh. Now that's a miracle because if you mix fresh water and salt water, the fresh water is tainted and becomes salty. But this is the other way around. This is what God does. This is what we see in the life of Jesus. It's a picture of what we'll see in the life of Jesus because God wants to dwell with us. And while he dwells with us, he doesn't get what we've got. We get what he's got. So that's why Jesus touches lepers and everyone stands back in horror thinking you're going to catch leprosy. No, the leper is made clean. This is why the woman with the issue of blood touches his robe in secret because she knows she's going to make him unclean. She's going to make him uh, ritually unclean if she touches him with her bleeding. But the opposite happens. She is instantly healed. She gets what Jesus has got, not the other way around. When we Come into God's presence. We don't taint him. We receive his forgiveness. We receive his cleansing. We receive his healing. That's the way it works. And that's what Ezekiel is being shown. Uh, The salt water is fresh. Fishermen will stand along the shore to spread their nets. There'll be fish of many kinds. Verse 12, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. The leaves won't wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear. Every month they get a harvest. This is a miraculous river doing miraculous things. And it's a foretaste of God's presence. Now, in John's Gospel, chapter, um, uh, chapter 7, uh, Jesus goes up to a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, the Feast of Tabernacles is a kind of, it's a sort of wet harvest festival. Uh, it's a time when the, uh, the Israelites, the Jews, would gather together for this festival and one of the things they would do is they would thank God for the rains that had come over the previous year that had enabled a fruitful harvest so they had food to eat. And they would thank God for the rains and they would pray for rains in the coming season, rains of, that would provide more fruitfulness. And as part of this festival, the high priest would act out the vision of Ezekiel chapter 47, So the high priest would be in the temple by the altar and he would take a silver pitcher, a silver jug, and he would lead a procession out of the temple down through the city to the pool of Siloam. And he would fill his silver pitcher with water from the pool of Siloam and then he would lead a procession back into the temple, back up to the altar. And in the side of the new temple that had been built, there was a funnel in the floor. And the high priest would pour this water from the silver pitcher from the pool of Siloam into the funnel in the floor by the side of the altar in anticipation of the day when this river of life would flow from the temple and bring life and fruitfulness and healing wherever it went. In the middle of this festival, sometimes Jesus is not very subtle. In the middle of this festival, Jesus stands up. In John chapter 7, verse 37, and he says this On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given. Since Jesus had not been glorified. So the high priest is acting this uh, 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 vision of Ezekiel 47. Jesus stands up in the middle of it and very unsubtly says, if you're thirsty, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me. And if you come to me, then streams of living water will flow from Within you. This is outrageous. This is why the religious authorities get so upset with Jesus because he keeps scandalizing them by taking these things that they know everything about and just, uh, uh, just scandalizing them. He's like, what are you talking about? How can you say this river of life is going to flow from you? You're a trumped up carpenter from Nazareth. How can you say that people who believe in you, this river of life is going to flow from you? It's outrageous. But this is the promise. This is what God is doing. And then John gives us the, you know, the interpretation. He says, they came to understand that Jesus was talking about the gift of the Spirit. What we just celebrated a few weeks ago. This river of life being poured out on the day of Pentecost. The birth of the church. We are invited to be caught up in the flow of this river. Uh, a few chapters earlier, John is having, uh, Jesus is having this discussion with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3 and, and blowing Nicodemus's mind about how possibly you can be born again. How is that possible? And, um, and Jesus says you shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound. You cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is what Ezekiel is being shown in... Uh, in, in chapter 47 with this this river of life this is what God is about God is going to dwell with his people that's the promise that they have to look forward to even though they're in this place of hopelessness God is saying you know don't fret don't worry this is what's coming this is my promise this is what is going to happen don't doubt it. Uh, I am going to dwell with you. My glory is going to fill the temple. I am going to dwell with you and I'm inviting you through the gift of the sacrifice that I will provide to come freely into my presence and to be, to be caught up in the things that I'm doing. To be caught up in my presence. What did we, what did we lose in the Garden of Eden? We lost the gift of dwelling face to face. With the living God, that's what was lost. And God's plan, God's promise, his intention is for things to be recreated so that once again we can dwell in his presence. And through Jesus, we're invited now to step in. We don't have to wait till we die and, and go to heaven to begin living in the flow of God's presence, the flow of his spirit. That's, that's the invitation and the invitation in, in the picture is you know, what, what? well, how far in are you and how far in do you want to go? Because where he wants us to be is, is out of our depth. But sometimes we just, we, we, we're kind of, we're still on the shore looking. And, and, then, and then sometimes we, we get in ankle deep. Uh, and, then, and then we get knee deep and then, and then waist deep. And, and that's where it becomes scary because it's, it's, ooh. Well, I'm waist deep, but I've still got my feet on the ground. And the invitation is to be, is to be caught up and, and swept along. Just turn with me, uh, just for a moment, to, uh, to Revelation. Because as we saw last week, there are echoes of Ezekiel in Revelation, which we shouldn't be too surprised about. And uh, I'm just going to look at a, a few verses from 21 and then from 22, Revelation. It's page. I don't need to give you the page number because it's right at the back. So it's easy to find. But um, God's plan that he's showing Ezekiel, is that the glory is going to fill the temple and God is going to dwell with his people once again. So Revelation 21, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from a throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with people. And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. This is exactly the vision that Ezekiel is given. God is saying to Ezekiel, I am going to make everything new. I'm going to make everything new. Uh, When Ezekiel is given the vision, the people of God are in exile and Jerusalem is a pile of ruins. Uh, When John is given this revelation, the people of God are suffering persecution, being scattered across the known world. God makes a promise, I'm going to do everything new. I'm going to make everything new. Revelation 22. Just listen to the echoes of Ezekiel 47. The angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. Do you notice something has changed? In Ezekiel 47, where does the river flow from? It flows from the altar at the heart of the temple. But in Revelation, the river is flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb because Jesus is the new temple. Jesus is the place of God's presence. John tells us in his gospel that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We don't have to go to a temple to be in the presence of God, we just have to go to Jesus to be in the presence of God. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. Ezekiel 47, it's the same, it's the same picture, uh, every, every month. And it's the tree of life. When did, we, when did we last have access to the tree of life? It was in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were shut out of the Garden of Eden so that they couldn't eat from the tree of life before they were restored and forgiven. But now, because of Jesus, we're invited once again to the tree of life, eternal life. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse the throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads they will see his face <coughs> remember Ezekiel every time he sees a vision what does he do he, he falls on his face he falls on his face because to see God <coughs> is to die to see the glory of God is to die Everyone in the Old Testament, when they realise they're in the presence of God, they fall on their face. But now they will see his face. His name will be on their forwards. There will be no more night; They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Is this exciting? Are we excited? I'm getting very excited. I was speaking at an event on Friday night from Romans. And I just said, are you excited? When we are reminded of the promises of God, how can can we possibly be in despair or despondency when we look around us? When we watch the news, when we see all the terrible things that are going on in our world, we should not be despondent. We should not be in despair because we know the promises of God. We know what God has promised. We know how the story is going to end. We know that even if it's getting dark... It's only getting dark so that the light can come. And God's invitation to us this morning, his invitation to us as his people is, will you join in with me with what I'm doing? Will you join in with me and be part of what I'm doing? Will you join in with me and be part of the means through which this message is is declared to the world? Will you allow me to use you for my glory? Will you allow me to use you to lift the name of Jesus high. Will you allow me to use you to bring the kingdom of God to bear? To bring hope to the hopeless. To bring life where there is death. Uh, the father looks on us and he says, he says jump in the river. Jump in the river. Get swept up in it because I'm doing a new thing and I'm doing a good thing. Ezekiel finishes Uh, chapter uh, chapter 48 the very last verse just the conclusion of this vision and uh, the conclusion of the whole book and remember where we've come in this book how you know how the early chapters were just full of kind of doom and gloom and punishment and, and all of that this is the promise this is the end of the story the name of the city from that time on will be the lord is there the lord is there and uh, um, in my in my in my former life uh, in, a, in, a, as, as, um, uh, in the Church of England, uh, I'd always begin a service with the words, the Lord is here. The Lord is here. And everyone would respond by saying his spirit is with us. Sometimes liturgy is all right, isn't it? Um, the Lord is here and his spirit is with us. And he's like, "Yay! let's get on and build the kingdom. Let's build on build the kingdom. So, this morning we're going to come to a, to a time of um, a time of communion. And uh, remember, the only piece of furniture in the the new temple that Ezekiel has shown is the altar, because it's the altar. It's the place of sacrifice that enables us to come into His presence, and the reason that we, in obedience to what Jesus has commanded us, we. We share in this meal is to remind us that we come into the presence of God uh, through the once and for all sacrifice of the Lord Jesus.